0: Hi, everybody! Ready for liftoff? It's actually not a question, by the way. Um, I'm Liz Claman. Many of you know me as Liz Claman, the anchor of Countdown to the Closing Bell on Fox Business. Where you know every day at 3 p.m. Eastern, I try to bring the fire for that final hour of trade. But it, it's time to break through the boundaries of my day job and into the brave semi-new world of Planet Podcast. So, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. So here's one thing that I can promise you. Every time you tune in to listen, you will leave inspired and maybe even thinking, okay, why not me? Why shouldn't I be able to do this? So now let me tell you how I picked my first Everyone Talks to Liz guest. We're going to call it Etel. Everyone Talks to Liz. So for those of you who don't know, I'm a California girl born and bred in Los Angeles and now an accidental New Yorker. Okay, I'll admit it, New Jersey. But, you know, when I say New Jersey, I have to say (laughs) New Jersey. But even though I've now lived on the East Coast longer than I ever lived in Los Angeles, I am Californian through and through. So I thought, let me start with a California story. And I found one, quite frankly, so improbable, yet so inspiring. I can't believe it's not a made-for-TV movie starring Rock Hudson and Susan St. James. I want you to hop aboard my podcast plane because I'm going to take you to Malibu, the sleepy beach community where everyone from the Beach Boys to Steve McQueen, yes, the original Steve McQueen from Papillon to Joan Didion all lived at one time or another. But back in 2003, it was anything but magical, I guess you could say, for my first guest on Everyone Talks to Liz, who at age 33 found himself, this is unbelievable, weighing 109 pounds, destitute and near death after his... Ninth, ninth heroin overdose. Khalil Rafati, quite frankly, has no business being alive. But today, not only is he alive, but he is a self-made multimillionaire with a fast-growing empire. An empire of what? Well, let's invite Khalil in because everyone talks to Liz. Khalil, welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Liz. Hey, everybody. So
0: glad you're here. So there's a reason that I picked you to be my guest for this podcast, the first one. I, I wanted to focus on on stories that scream inspiration and achievement against unbelievable odds. So with your story, I want to begin by reaching back in time to that moment where EMTs were trying to bring you back to life.
1: Start with that. Definitely the scariest moment of my life. Um, it, was, uh, it was, I mean, I was dead. I was definitely dead. I was floating above my body. And I was watching the EMTs try to revive me, but I didn't know that that's what was going on. I just saw my body as I was floating above, and I was watching this flurry of activity around me. And uh, and then as I sat there watching, all of a sudden it dawned on me, and I realized I was dead. And I, I used some swear words, which I won't use now, but I just kept <laughs> swearing over and over again and saying, Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know... I- I'm dead. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm dead. And, um, and then there was a very, very, very painful feeling in my chest area. And, um, all of a sudden, bam, I was no longer above my body. I was inside my body and my eyes opened and I saw all the people hovering over me. Um, I had an oxygen mask on and then I went back and I started to float again. And that happened maybe three or four times. And I remember hearing them say, "Like we're losing him, we're losing him," and um, and then the painful feeling again, which you know, obviously in hindsight, I didn't realize it at the time, but they were using a defibrillator on me, mm-hmm. and it really, really hurt. And um, and that was sort of it. I, I came to. They got me in a stretcher. They put me in the ambulance, and they did their best to keep me stable until they got me to the uh, to the emergency room in Santa Monica. And I will never forget this woman holding my hand and just kept saying over and over again, you know, focus on the good things, focus on the good things. And I could see that she was really alarmed. And I started to try to talk to her, but I couldn't because I had the oxygen mask on. And she kept saying, focus on the good things, focus on the good things. And finally, I, you know, went to make the motion to remove the oxygen mask. And she removed it. And and then I said, there aren't any. Uh-huh. And I just cried, and she cried, and it was one of those like you know human being to human being moments, and um, yeah, it was it was definitely, definitely one of the lowest points in my life, and most certainly the scariest moment of my life.
0: So you were dying right then and there of your ninth overdose, and you were addicted to crack cocaine, heroin your body covered in sores and ulcers. Uh, It was a very, very low point, obviously, the lowest possible. Um, Do you wish you had died at that moment? Or did you wake up and think, this is my one chance?
1: You know, I I had suicidal ideation since I was a very, very young uh, kid, 12 years old, 13 years old. I, I started fantasizing about my funeral and who would be there? And that was a very, believe it or not, a pretty predominant um, fantasy that I had throughout my my teens, um, and then kind of on and off in my twenties. When I started getting into shooting heroin, I certainly felt that it was glamorous. That you know, I am going to finish up my record, and I am gonna. I was in a band, mm-hmm. and um, I am finish up my record, and then I am gonna die, and then you know, everyone's gonna remember me. And I remember being so upset when Kurt Cobain actually did that mm-hmm. I was like mad that he did that um, which speaks volumes about how stupid I was and and the but but the suicide ideation thing was you know that that was decades of that so when it actually happened when I actually realized that I was dead that the, the you know the fantasy vanished very quickly and um, when I came to that last time I definitely did not want to be dead um, I felt like I was dead. My teeth were falling out of my head. Um, I was emaciated and rotting from the inside out, and it was a, it was a horrible, horrible time. And I, I wish I could tell you that, you know, I, I went to the hospital and I stopped, but. The truth is they, they gave me the option of staying in the hospital bed handcuffed and then, um, you know, or the shift was going to change and, you know, the cop was giving me some 12-step love or tough love. And mm-hmm. they actually ended up letting me go. And um, and who knows, maybe just because I was such a, a pain in the butt and wouldn't shut up and stop <laughs> complaining or maybe the cop really had, you know, empathy for me. Um, but they let me go and, and I went right back to getting high. But w- within a very short period of time, I did end up completely bottoming out and just ran out of resources. And, you know, initially I was going, I was on welfare and I was on food stamps and I was getting bus tokens and ho- hotel vouchers from so-called, um, what do they call that? Government assistance. They had a name for mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So I was doing that for a while. I was obviously selling drugs and, and doing other things, which... I was told not to talk about um, in my book or when I'm doing podcasts because it's polarizing and makes people feel awkward, but I did whatever I had to do. I'm not a tough guy or a violent guy, so let's just, you know, use your imagination. I did whatever I had to do in order to get money for drugs.
0: Well, um, we don't get uncomfortable in this podcast. The only thing that makes us uncomfortable is when we don't have inspiring stories, and let's, let's sort of ease into that part of it. So... You were 33 when this all went down. Yes. Uh, you know, you weren't a teenager. I mean, to me, I'm thinking of that Neil Young song, The Needle and the Damage Done, where, yeah. you know, every junkie has a setting sun. Your sun set, but then it started to rise. Mm-hmm. And that moment is what really brought you, it seems, to this point where you decided to get healthy. And simply by doing that, that was sort of the first step to becoming what you are today and let's reveal that. Let's talk about how you got into your own business of creating healthy food that is now and I, I can't I can't impart to my listeners more the most delicious health food on planet Earth. Okay? And I would go there in Malibu. I'd travel all this way from the west side of Los Angeles through tons of traffic. Yes, Pacific Coast Highway just because I and my kids wanted these Healthy acai bowls with the yogurt and with the everything. I mean, don't even. But let's yeah. talk about how you, you pulled yourself up and said, okay, knock it off, Khalil. Time to live.
1: Yeah. You know, the, once I ran out of resources and once I cried out for help, um, I I actually um, got whatever jobs I could. I was walking dogs. Um, actually, Lou Gossett Jr., I don't know if you remember Lou. Yeah. He, yeah, he gave me a yeah, he gave me a job, Academy Award winning actor, I found out later. Um, but he gave me a job walking his dogs and this lady, Sherman, gave me a job washing dogs and us cleaning people's apartments. I was always pretty industrious. I mean, I think, you know, I inherited a lot of great qualities from both of my parents. Um, hard work probably being the, the biggest one. Well, and, it doesn't um, seem
0: like you were lazy because at that point you, you had no pride that, that kept you back from doing whatever it took to legitimately get back on your feet.
1: Well, I mean, there's that, and I appreciate you painting the picture that way, but there's also the fact that I was a high school dropout, a convicted felon. I can't spell, I can't type, and I don't really have any skills. So it's not like I could, you know, call my folks and get some money, or it's not like I could, you know, most people, most addicts have tons of enablers that will just continue to give to them and give to them and Mm -hmm. give to them ad infinitum, if I'm pronouncing that right. You are? Um, I I didn't have that. I, I had nothing. My mother was living below the level of poverty. And my father and I have always had an incredibly, incredibly strained relationship. And uh, my father's a very proud Muslim man. And if he would have found me at that time, I mean, he would have killed me with his own bare hands. And, you know, that it, it is what it is. But so I had to work. I don't, you know, if, if... I think one of the worst things that you can do to somebody is to teach them not to work. You know, my, my pain and my suffering brought me the humility to go and get a job and work and put bread on the table, which once you do that, and you probably know about the bread of shame. Yes. um, Yeah, you stop stop experiencing the bread of shame. You start to, you know, when I was on food stamps and welfare, or when I was shacking up with older women for money or doing whatever I had to do... um, I felt icky, not just the drugs and all that, mm-hmm. but I, I was living under the bread of shame. And when I began to work, as menial as those jobs were, um, it didn't matter because I went and I bought my own food and I felt good for mm-hmm. the first time in, in so long. And I, you know, I, I started to take care of myself. And it's just, it just was an, an amazing, amazing experience to become a man and to start aiming towards becoming the man that God intended me to be.
0: Well, nothing like working hard and then getting the paycheck. It's almost Pavlovian with the Pavlov's dogs. You get that reward, and you say, oh, I want to do
1: more of this. Yeah, well, so you know what I did with the paychecks? Because I was so paranoid, and I couldn't get a bank account. I was going and cashing the paychecks at a, at a check cashing place, mm-hmm. and I was going driving to Inklewood, um, and I was buying gold bullion and Krugerrand. Because I was terrified. The economy was insane at that time, two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five. Mm-hmm. People were using their houses as ATMs yeah, and housing people. Yeah, I was terrified. I, I was so scared that something bad was gonna happen. So I was putting all my money in silver and gold at that time, and we all know what happened to silver and gold over the next uh, couple of years. I think four years. Yeah. It went parabolic.
0: Well, one of the things that you were also doing was committing to eating very healthfully.
1: Yes, and experimenting. Yes. My, yeah, my friend Sean was like one of those hippies that drives a VW bus and teaches <laughs> yoga, and he he you know lived in Manhattan Beach and Venice, and like he was bringing me these green juices and uh, raw macadamia nuts and bee pollen and royal jelly and you know raw cacao beans, and I hated it. I mean, it tasted awful. I really, really. <laughs> If you want to really taste something gross, get real raw royal jelly and, and or or powdered colostrum. <laughs> you know. It is not it is not tasty. And, the real but, stuff was bad enough, I'm sure. But when I when I was eating that stuff and drinking that stuff, um I again I didn't have a choice. You know, I had no money, so he was bringing me this stuff, and I was eating it, and I just felt this, like, surge of energy. And I noticed in a very short period of time, people started saying things like, God, you look good. You look, you know, you look different. What are you doing? I started going to the bathroom a lot, um, and I started to expel some... Poisons from me that I can't even toxins. Mm. Oh, God would well, just beyond. I mean, gallstones and, and mucoid plaque and all kinds of bile would come out of me. And, you know, you don't you don't quit shooting heroin and smoking crack and taking benzos for years and then stop. And then 30 days, you're better. That seems to be the the perception. We'll just put him in rehab for 30 days and he's going to be fine and he'll come back and he'll stay sober forever. It doesn't work like that. It, it took me about 18 months to detoxify oh. most of that poison from my body, and it, it also took me about eighteen months to stop hearing voices, to think, to you know, to stop thinking that people were coming after to kill me. Um, there was a lot of mental illness uh, during my drug use, mm-hmm. and um, as a child, suffered from you know anxiety, acute anxiety, and panic attacks, and so it was it was a steady climb. Um, but as you said, like the Pavlovian response, the more healthy stuff I ate, the better I felt. Now, look, I'm not going to lie, I still smoked cigarettes for years. Uh, I think three and a half years into my recovery, I was still smoking. Okay. I was still drinking Coca-Cola. I was still going and eating Rubens every day at the Malibu kitchen and, you know, a bag of potato (laughs) chips. And and, then, you know, at night, secretly sneaking a bag of Doritos. Like, But I was pumping in this healthy stuff as well. And the more I pumped in the healthy stuff, the better I felt, the better I looked. And then, like any good addict, I became obsessed with it. I became obsessed with doing sauna and, and, you know, dry brush and taking niacin and, and just detoxifying and doing these cleanses and fasts. And all of a sudden, you know, two, three years in, people would look at me and go, wait, what? Like, you look 10 years younger than you did three years ago. And that continued on for years. I continued to reverse the way that I looked in terms of age, and damage, and the collagen returned to my skin. I quit smoking. I think three and a half, four years in, and the collagen started to come back to my skin. My hair started getting thicker.
0: Well, what was it then that you were eating? And did these people say, "Give me some of that"? I mean, they probably said, <laughs> "Well, what? I want what he's having." Kind. Of they thing.
1: did. Yeah, they did. And I was making up little trail mix mixes, and I was making up smoothies um in my, you know, the guy that was letting me stay at his house, which I eventually turned into a sober living. Um, I was making up these smoothies, these superfood smoothies, and sort of divinely inspired recipes just came about because, as I said, that stuff tasted nasty. So I would take things like dates and raw honey and bananas and, and you know, acai and, and all these things that are so common today, mixing them together with raw nut butters and hemp milk and almond milk, which, again, super popular today, but mm-hmm. 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, people didn't know what hemp milk was, <laughs> you know, like, are you talking about pot juice? So so there's um, there, there's a big there's a big
0: gap and a big jump from I'm making it in my friend's house with the blender to I'm going to have a storefront here and I'm going to
1: sell this stuff.
0: How did you make that jump?
1: So remember the economy collapse, right? We talked about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And at the Pointune shopping center, they're on the ground floor of about I'm going to say 11 or 12 businesses and i could be off by a few there were six vacancies there and there was a giant sign that said um you know for lease and um my gold and silver had gone up i had a, a good chunk of cash and a lot of these amazing people in in malibu like cindy landon and lou gossett and and uh, the hiltons and just some really cool people that i had met they had all said like they would support me and. I wanted to open up a little business. And um, ultimately, it was uh, a professional poker player sort of, um, I don't know, maybe the guy didn't have the best reputation at the time, but he was willing to loan me $200,000 and $208,000, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, because
0: that extra $8
1: kind of pushed you yeah, over. Yeah, sorry, $208,000, <laughs> um, which I borrowed. And um, I ended up paying back one year to the day. But I borrowed two hundred and eight grand from him. I had about fifty five thousand dollars that I had saved up. Um, The landlord had no choice but to rent to me, even though my credit was shot and I had no prior experience. I mean, he he was desperate for tenants Mm -hmm. and um, he loves me now. But wow, that was that was was tough getting him to give me a lease. But he did the leap of faith. He did The Leap of Faith and, you know, I was so Pollyannic and and incredibly naive and just constantly reading Think and Grow Rich and watching The Secret and all these like self-help, you know, the power of positive thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. I literally took the lease that he handed me and I said, oh, do you have a pen? And he he looked at me like (laughs) I was crazy. And I said, you don't have a pen? He goes, "Uh, yeah, I have a pen. I'm like, okay, where do I sign? (laughs) I didn't even have a lawyer look at it. And um, you know, eleven months later, we we opened our doors, and um, and there was a line out the door, and it was it, it was pandemonium. I had no idea what I was doing. My business partner had no idea what she was doing. Um, we had cuts on every finger, band aids on every finger, wearing two pairs of latex gloves. And you would have a plumber, an electrician, uh, you know, David Duchovny. Um and then a day laborer <laughs> and a housekeeper and and then Owen Wilson, and like I mean it was the craziest <laughs> i I constantly felt like I was going to faint, number one because there was a line out the door, and I was so thrilled, but I was always scared it was going to end you know the, the the overwhelming sense of impending doom that has haunted me since I was a child was ever present and you know and still comes back a lot from and time so
0: to time. sun life organics was born. One yeah. one tiny storefront, kind of hidden away in Malibu. No sign. No sign. Yep. And the lease you didn't even have vetted by an attorney, which I love because no there's table. your own leap
1: of faith. No table, no, no shelves. We ran out of money. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to go back to this dude and be like, oh, hey, can I get more money? I was scared. He's can like, I,
0: can like, I get that $8 at the end of it? Um, yeah. <laughs> but so Khalil, let me Fast forward to today. Well, sure. uh, let me back up actually. So this is a couple of years ago and I'm back was, in Malibu. That was eight years ago. Okay. So I'm thinking four years ago, I'm I'm in Malibu and I see Sun Life and I say, oh, I, I want to go here. And my sister said, oh, you have to have the acai bowl. So we went in and my daughter Gabby had one and I had one and we're sitting there like, oh my God, this is the best thing I have ever. Ever eaten, ever. But it wasn't just the food. It was sort of this hangout place where we sat at these sort of group tables and it was so relaxing and mellow. And I thought to myself, I want to move home. I want to move back to oh. to the West Coast just because of this aura that I felt when I walked in and, and that's you. So you wanted it more than just a, here's here's your receipt, wait over there,
1: there's your food. How'd you do that? My intention, you know. Remember at the time when I started Sun Life, I, I owned a business called Riviera Recovery. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, I was rich. I mean, for me, I was making twenty grand a month, thirty grand a month. And to me, you know, coming from Toledo, Ohio, and you know, having been homeless, um, whatever it was, four or five years earlier, I thought I was rich. I was really unhappy. I, I didn't want to work in recovery anymore. Um, so when I opened, I, I opened Sun Life with the intention of serving my neighbors and and serving my community and i so desperately wanted to belong and Mm -hmm. you know owning a rehab on a fancy street you know where your neighbors are barbara streisand and and you know whoever i shouldn't mention names well that's malibu um but you know i mean barbara was not happy that i opened a recovery place on her street nor was you know whoever else the other you know very successful people that had worked really hard their whole lives and um Unless, of course, they had someone in the family that was suffering and they needed my help. Well, don't we all, right? Yeah, but anyway, so, you know, I I was kind of ostracized and, and not very much liked at the time, but I just wanted to serve my community. I wanted to belong for the first time ever. I wanted to feel like... I wanted to be an asset to my community rather than a liability. I had always been a liability. Ev ever since I was a you know juvenile delinquent getting arrested at thirteen, fifteen, you know, on and on and on, a convicted felon, you know, like I always felt like a piece of crap and I always mm-hmm. was depressed and just felt less than and I wanted to I wanted to bring the health and wellness and the vitality that I was feeling to my neighbors and to people that I didn't know. Sure. So the so so number one it was intentions. Number two, remember Fred Siegel? Remember the oh, Fred yeah. Siegel store? Okay, Very so f- hip store, Bruce yeah.
0: Springsteen, everybody goes there. Yeah.
1: So Freddie said, look, it's really simple. You never compromise on your integrity of your ingredients. Ever. No matter what. I don't care if you're going broke, you always use organic, you always use the best of the best of the mm. best. And that's what we did. So it was it was intention and integrity of the ingredients. And, you know, I'm sure a little bit of codependency and insecurity because sure. I, w- I want you to like me. I want my neighbors to like me. I want people to like me and, and you know, think that I'm a good guy. So I I work tirelessly seven days a week. Uh, I worked 16 to 18 hours a day in the very beginning and for, you know, the first few years, certainly. I still work seven days a week unless I'm traveling. Still? It, yeah, of course.
0: Okay, of course. so let's get to the of course part. Of yeah. course, you're not just running one store today. Blow away our podcast listeners. How many stores do you have today, and how many do you plan to open?
1: So seven and a half years after opening the first Sun Life Organics, we have 10 stores open, Wow! and we have three more opening in the next six months. Um, we will do about, conservatively, $14 million this year in sales. <gasps> wow. And I, I employ over 400 people now which i take great pride in i take great pride in being an american citizen and being able to pay taxes and and just and just be a part of society and um it's it's incredible and you know best selling book that you know sold out on amazon four times
0: and by the way let's give the title
1: right now the title of my book is called i forgot to die Mm. and that's sort of you know kind of obvious why it was called that. Like I, I hated myself and I wanted to die my whole life and I always felt like I was worthless. And then one day I woke up and I had a bunch of employees and people hugging me and people high-fiving me and people telling me. I'll never forget, I'll never forget, you know, we had been open a couple of months and um, there was like a 40-minute wait. Can you imagine waiting 40 minutes for <laughs> wow. a juice for an acai bowl? It was a 40-minute wait. And it. And by the way, there was a 20 to 40-minute wait every day, all day from from the moment we open till the moment we close i'll never forget this i'm i'm doing the best that i can i'm i'm tripping and i'm i'm struggling and i'm tired and i'm mm-hmm. scared i'm so scared it's going to fail and um this lady in the back not from malibu clearly not from malibu she's just really upset and just constantly complaining and i can hear her bellowing from the back counter waiting for excuse me sir excuse me sir and all of a sudden i hear this calm cool like sexy voice and the voice says, "Excuse me, ma'am, this ain't McDonald's. These guys are working as hard as they can, so you're just gonna have to wait." And I look up, and it was David Duchovny. <laughs> I just, I just about died. I mean, if if if, if I wasn't like so, um, you know, insecure and and false pride, I would I would have started. I would have burst into tears. It was well, one of the coolest moments ever.
0: Mr. Californication, hanging yeah. out in the California little corner that matters certainly so much to so many people um i I do just want people to know something you know you already mentioned your muslim father your mother
1: jewish yeah my mom was born a jew Mm -hmm. um and she was raised catholic Mm -hmm. and um and then put me in catholic school in ohio because those were the only private schools you could go to Mm -hmm. so when i was a little boy i remember doing jewish stuff you know seder dinner and Mm -hmm lighting the menorah over at her friend Basha's house, who was also from Poland. My mom's from Poland. And, um, and then that ended abruptly one time when my father walked in and dragged her out. Um, and that was the last time we ever did that Jewish stuff. Um, so I was raised Catholic and my mom, strangely enough, ended up falling in love with the Catholic faith and, and, and loving Jesus. And, still loves jesus and talks about jesus which i think is awesome and jesus was a jew so we're all in this together
0: amen brother yeah and and you know you've got the muslim background too you're 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 just sort of this worldly person with so much of a mosaic of your personality but also of your experiences khalil when is your next opening and where
1: Next opening is going to be Scottsdale, Arizona in the Fashion Square Mall, um, right next to Nobu and Equinox and all oh, these other wow. amazing brands. That'll be July 1st. Um, then we're doing Marin County Country Mart up in Marin County mm-hmm. at the most beautiful. Have you ever been to Marin County Country Mart? Of course. Oh, my God. I went God. to Berkeley, so I was always oh. Up there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you know. It's yeah. like it's like heaven. It's like it's if, if there is a heaven, it's going to be the Marin County Country Mart lululemon and soul cycle and all these awesome brands and and yoga works um that's opening up in august and then um oh west hollywood at the sunset right up on sunset plaza what's your dream location my dream location cross creek was one of them that's the one that you go to Yeah. yeah that was one of them um Marin county country mart was my my dream location as well i you know I think one of these rich landlords in New York City needs to stop. <laughs> come them. on to New York City. Yeah, I mean, listen, come on, we work. Come on, yeah. come on, you know, whoever. <laughs> Somebody needs to grow some you know what's and and put up the money to build a Sun Life Organics. You build it, I'll show up, and I will make it rain.
0: Hmm. Khalil Rafati, what an amazing story. I want all of our viewers, if you ever get the chance and our listeners, to Go to a Sun Life Organics, and if you find yourself on the West Coast, I will personally smack you
1: if you don't go to Malibu, or any of the other locations. Yeah, there's ten of them now, all over L.A. So Century go. City is amazing. Oh, easy. Check out- Westfield Century City Mall has mm-hmm. a Sun Life in there that looks like a Swedish spaceship that you want to move into. It's beautiful.
0: <laughs> and uh, y- you've added onto your menu something called the Billion Dollar
1: Bowl. The Billion Dollar Bowl. Yeah. We What's started getting that? a ton of of billionaires coming in and, and many of them not really sure how to eat mm-hmm. because, you know, they'd obviously spent their lives building abundance and prosperity and creating jobs, thank God, and paying taxes. Um, and so I would find myself sometimes like, you know, f- frenetically trying to explain to them, well, you should definitely get collagen. You, you, you need protein and you should get some royal jelly and some bee pollen. And finally, I just was like, you know what? I'm just going to throw it all in a bowl, mix <laughs> it up with some acai. I'm going to charge, you know, an outrageous price. It's $35 um, for an acai bowl. But truth be told, there's about $21 worth of raw materials in it. And um, it's a meal and a half. It is not – it's it's really, truly, I think, more geared towards men, um, although a lot of women order it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's the Billion Dollar Bowl. And we've got that. We've got the ice matcha latte. We've got the Million Dollar Smoothie, which is for – that's like Cindy Crawford's favorite smoothie. Like she she always tells me she loves that one.
0: Well, oh, I'm getting that one next.
1: <laughs> I'll treat you.
0: I'll, I'll I'll take you up on that. But I want my a, acai bowl, and that's my thing. That's what you I want. You got love. it. Khalil Rafati of Sun Life Organics and check out his book, I Forgot to Die. What an incredible title. So that's what Tanya Joseph, my producer and I are going to offer you every time we do this podcast. An inspirational story that we hope will leave you thinking, why not me? I can do it too. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Liz Clayman. See you next time.